0: Welcome to Liberty's Talk, the podcast of Liberties Journal. I'm Celeste Marcus, Managing Editor of Liberties and the host of this podcast, on which I talk with our writers and the wider Liberties circle about whatever is on our minds. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Mam Timin Ala, who is a Uyghur living in Australia and an advocate for the Uyghur cause. He talks at length not just about the current tragedy in China, but also about the history of the Uyghurs, and the particular beauty and wealth of their tradition. Mum Timin, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me here.
0: So before we, before we talk about uh, the conflict or the, the catastrophe in China specifically, I was, I was hoping that you could give us uh, a bit of a history lesson about weaker culture and tradition
1: yes the, the Uyghurs are uh, known to the world uh, too late uh, in the course of this genocide which is really really one of the sad aspects of our reality because um it's too late for the world to know us and know our culture and know what the 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 core what the core of the struggle that we have been uh, doing against uh, China's rule. And Uyghurs have been uh, native, uh, one of the native peoples of what we call is East Turkestan. And name Turkestan is quite special in this context because Turkestan is a combination of two parts of the world. One is Turk, second one is Stan. Stan is a Persian word which uh, means uh, nation and Turk is the name of uh the people or Turkish people, or what we call in academic world a Turkic uh people, etc. So the Turkistan means the land of Turkish uh Turks or Turkish people. And so the Uyghurs uh have been living in this land uh uh since uh the Uh, what we would, since two or three thousand years ago. Even some archaeological findings can tell us that uh, the the Uyghurs emerged in that land uh, six or seven thousand years ago. So, uh, of course, the the ethnicity of Uyghurs is quite complex, uh, because uh, before we the, the name, uh, the Uyghur emerged in historical, uh, writings, uh, the, in East Turkestan. There were also some non-Uyghur, uh, tribes or peoples there, uh, in particular, uh, the peoples from uh, Europe or uh, from a uh, other parts of northern part of, uh, the Central Asia. And also the Uyghur, the name Uyghurs known in uh, Mongolian, uh, steppe is, uh, in, uh, in 60s or 70s, uh, centuries, even before that. Then the Uyghurs, uh, fin- finally, uh, lots of, uh, uh, tribes and peoples, uh, created a, a great amalgamation of the, uh, different, uh, tribes to consolidate, uh, the current ethnic group called, uh, the Uyghurs. And it's, uh, strangely enough that, uh, this name Uyghurs were given to, uh, at that time, given to, uh, Buddhist Uyghurs in, in what we call the Turpan region. And whereas the, the Muslim Uyghurs uh who embraced Islam in ninth century called more or less uh, Muslims or people from uh, Turkestan, Turkstan. Uh the all this the, the Uyghur name ultimately uh almost to some extent, it was uh, it was forgotten uh, after the Buddhist Uyghurs were conquered by Muslim Uyghurs and they, they were subject to uh, Islamization uh, in the 14th and 15th century. And so then this name uh, disappeared from historical uh, books for some time, two or three centuries, and the, then it's, it was re-emerged uh, uh, at the beginning of 20th century Um uh, so this is the history of Uyghurs, and the uh, Uyghurs have created uh, lots of uh, dynasties, uh, kingdoms, and uh, and other uh, big or small political uh, entities. So Uyghurs have a very long, uh, not only p- political but also cultural. Uh, history uh, in 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 Central Asia and beyond. So the Turkestan lies at the heart of Central Asia. So in that sense, Central Asia could be uh, seen as the, uh, uh, the the originating place of Uyghurs, uh, historically speaking. And the, in twentieth centuries, the fate of Uyghurs changed quite drastically. That uh, uh, so uh, even before the 20th century, in the uh, 18th century, uh, Qing dynasty expressed its interest in conquering uh, uh, to, uh with uh, failed attempts. Uh, but in 19th century, ultimately, uh, at the end of 19th century, uh, Qing dynasty... Uh, uh, ruled by Manchus, uh, ultimately uh, conquered East Turkestan, which was uh, 1884, and it lasted till, uh, um, till the 20s of uh, 20th century. And ultimately, uh, in uh, Uyghurs, created uh, two true independent republics in 20th century until this, both of which were uh, overturned by the Chinese Communist Party in 1949. And since 1949, Uyghurs have been subject to uh, China's rule, uh, including um, very uh, progressively uh, worsening uh, assimilation policies, uh, which ended up in the current uh, genocide. So this is a very brief uh, history of Uyghurs. Uh, um, so it's, I guess this is quite a good uh, uh, introduction.
0: It's a good introduction, absolutely. I want to um, ask like specific questions about because you just covered so much, uh, and people know so little, unfortunately. So, so um, one of the one of the misunderstandings is that Uyghurs have always been Muslim. That like Uyghur culture and Islam have always been intertwined. Uh, And people think that people think that I think because they believe their understanding is that the Chinese persecute the Uyghurs in China because they are Muslim, Um, because so little is ever said about why the genocide is happening. So in order to correct some of those misunderstandings, I just I want to highlight the fact that um, Uyghurs embraced Islam well into their history. It wasn't at the beginning of Uyghur uh, culture. So, how? What are the essential aspects of Uyghur culture that have been constant? And I know that that's a difficult question because it has it has changed so much. And actually, um, as you as you say in your essay, part one of the essential facets of, of Uyghur culture, if I understand correctly, is that it uh, is that it adapts. Is that, yeah. Um. So, could what does that mean? What is what is uh, a syncretistic Culture look like?
1: Okay, so uh, Uyghurs have a history of Islam for the past a thousand years. And uh, during which, as you know, that no faith is pure. And Uyghurs embraced Islam while keeping uh, d- their own traditional uh, cultural values, cultural practices, and uh, cultural institutions. Because Uyghurs uh, embraced lots of other faces uh, like uh, Buddhism, uh, even Christianity, Manichaeism, Zoroastrianism, and Shamanism, etc., etc. So even even now, Uyghurs can feel the influence of these very hidden aspects of other religious practices. We can feel that it's not it's not like, uh, but Islam is is dominant. Uh, a face of Uyghurs, that's for sure. And uh, secondly, uh, I would like to draw your attention to the uh, critical aspects of Sufism as part of the uh, whole Islamic uh, tradition of Uyghurs. Sufism is a uh, religious school of Islam, which opposes uh, violence, and while embracing the uh, deeps uh, value of human beings in connection with God. And the Sufists uh, think that the, there are some stages uh, through which human beings can reach the love of God. It sounds like a bit Christian mysticism and even some uh, Jewish mysticism. There are some mystic elements in Sufism. And as long as there's a mystic elements in in, in very uh, very hardcore uh, religious uh, practices, then it could be uh, something different. Uh, it could leave some room for like meditation, different interpretations, and also different practices. It's it's what happened to Uyghurs as well. That uh, while some Uyghurs uh, believe it in very essential and orthodox aspects of Islam like some other Muslims around the world, in particular Muslims in Middle East, like Arabs or others, but some other Uyghurs, in particular some high-level, like uh, Uyghur uh, Muslim elites were quite fascinated with the the Sophistic aspects of Islam, which was, I could say, it's a local branch of Islam, or like Uyghur appropriation of Islam in a way that it could be suitable for our ancestors. And so it's very soft, very flexible, and also quite like embracing aspect of Islam that Uyghurs uh, have also been uh, practicing for uh, centuries. And in that sense, uh, Uyghurs uh, have created a special mindset, which is all inclusive or like open mindedness, which is the essential of uh, Islamic uh, practice of Uyghurs. That's why Thanks to the Silk Road exchanges of cultural practices or ideas, that Uyghurs have benefited a lot, and Uyghurs have uh, uh, been influenced by lots of other cultures and ways of uh, thoughts and etc. So, in that sense, it's not easy to pinpoint uh, that what Islamic practice that Uyghurs uh, have. Done for centuries. It's quite complex uh, practice, and the third aspects of Islam that Uyghurs have uh, practices is that uh, the after nineteen forty nine, the Uyghurs faced the biggest dilemma in their life, that the, the, the Chinese Communist Party is absolutely atheistic uh, political system. Which negates uh, any kind of uh, religion. Not only negates, but also they are determined to wipe out religion at all. Because for them, religion, as Karl Marx said, is opium for the people. So, but then Uyghurs are uh, thrown into this such hostile environment with atheist communists. So that was the the biggest uh, biggest tragedy of Uyghurs to live with, uh, AIDS, live under the the rule of atheist communists. But these communists, Chinese communists, were at the beginning were not harsh on. Islamic practice of Uyghurs, not because they are merciful uh, for Uyghurs, but because they tried to minimize attention with Uyghurs. So, but as time goes by, the Islamic uh, face of Uyghurs were gradually uh, forced to be modified to 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 accept uh, the socialistic values of of China, and as the the assimilations policies were intensified as time went by, then Uyghurs embraced the Islamic uh, belief as a last spiritual haven for them to protect their cultural values. Actually, uh, Islam used it as a kind of like shield, uh, moral shield, a spiritual shield against the cultural assimilations uh, that they Uh, Have been facing, and then of course there's some aspects of the some parts of the Uyghur society embraced like they got really toughened to embrace some hardcore aspects of Islam. Even notion of jihad was not known, not um, not like foreign concept to a small number of Uyghurs, which could be quite uh, quite understandable because. According to Islamic uh, faith, that if you are under occupation, you have the uh, the religious duty to liberate yourself from the occupation. And that time, since the Uyghur political reality is a uh, uh, occupational, like a reality of occupation, so that Islamic uh, teaching is helped Uyghurs to shape their um, resistance uh, from a very deeper spiritual uh, of, uh, level. And uh, uh, another aspect was uh, of this Islamic face of Uyghurs was that now the world understands this car, the source of uh, the cause of current genocide as the fact that Uyghurs are Muslims. Again, I, I don't I don't buy in this explanation because of the simple fact that, uh, for example, China is not at this stage not uh, putting. Uh, the other Muslims uh, in China into uh, uh, concentration camps. For example, Hui Muslims, or what we call is Hui Zul. Because uh, the, the fundamental difference between Hui Muslims and Uyghurs are that apart from their uh, Islamic identity, Uyghurs also have their political identity. As I said, Uyghurs feel themselves as the uh, uh, legitimate uh, owner of uh, East Turkestan. And they lost the, uh, the freedom to uh, communist occupation. And that's, they have never given up on their dreams of recreating uh, their own independent state. So that's why uh, Uyghurs have posed uh, the very uh, potential threat to the in- to sovereignty of, of China because the Uyghurs feel that... Uh, uh, if they don't get their freedom, they will never uh, keep their cultural identity uh, uh, intact or uh, uh, like workable. So in the in the end, uh, the the political uh, aspirations of Uyghurs are the key aspects of China's relentless uh, 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 attack on the cultural identity and religion. And after the the 11 tragedy in the U.S., China has. Uh, Taken that uh, the war on terror uh, uh, narrative as a uh, something quite like a magical uh, weapon against Uyghurs, uh, indiscriminately uh, uh, suppressing any kind of Uyghur grievances or Uyghur resistance, and unfortunately, uh, even U.S. at some point in time. Categorize some aspect like uh, East Turkestan Islamic movement, which is shadowy, unknown, even control what we believe is controlled by uh, China's Communist Party as a kind of excuse uh, for the suppression of Uyghurs and ultimately uh, the operations of these uh, concentration camps across East Turkestan now. So, in that sense, to summarize, so Islam is core of Uyghur uh, spiritual existence, but it's also, we should also take into account the political history and political aspirations of Uyghurs. And in that sense, there's a bigger picture than just because just Uyghurs are being Muslims. It's a bit narrow-minded to see Uyghurs, only Muslims That yes, they are like, uh, unfortunately, and at the same time, let me finish this one. Uh, unfortunately, now we live in a very dichotomic world that uh, there is a kind of black and white that Muslims are violent and they are, have a potential like they are potential terrorists, and the rest will be benign or good. So uh, all Muslims are suspicious, suspicious, and this kind of very biased mindset could be applied to Uyghurs as well. That yes, because Uyghurs are Muslims, that's why China is doing. To them, but this story is far complicated than that. This very really, uh, simplistic as well as dichotomic uh, black and white uh, picture.
0: So, it's it is correct that China has taken advantage of the Islamophobic narrative that um, all Muslims are potential threats. Um, but the reason that they're doing this, they're doing that specifically in the Uyghur case, uh, and not for other Muslims in, in China, um, is because, well, I guess, I guess we could say that it's two pronged. It's because of the cultural differences that the Uyghurs, um, and the Chinese have, which make it very difficult for the Chinese to suppress Uyghur identity. And also the historical and political differences because, um, Uyghurs, Uyghurs have a prior claim on land that the Chinese want, so they use that narrative in order to justify the genocide um, to their to their advantage. Is that is exactly. that
1: right? And one more thing, I would like to add this: is you stimulated my thinking that um, one thing that uh, I am always fascinated, sometimes confused that uh, Uyghurs are quite proud people. And in history, the colon- colonization is nothing new. Like uh, many parts of the world have gone through this process of colonization and emancipation, etc. And even in some cases, that the colonized uh, have some kind of respect or fascination with colonizers. For example, but in Uyghur case, even though Uyghurs uh, were, were put in a very uh, miserable condition, but they have never uh, seen Chinese as their mas- masters, and the, because perhaps this is a the the cultural consciousness or cultural capital of Uyghurs that which are really rich. Uh, rich enough to give the Uyghurs self-confidence. Some people would see this self-confidence as really fatal or really foolish, whatever. But Uyghurs have never uh, seen Chinese people as a superior to them. Of course, uh, Chinese people in return don't see Uyghurs superior to them either. So there is a hidden cultural uh, conflict between these two, and the tragedy is that the two cultures, which are, from my observation, deeply incompatible in many ways, are forced to operate in a very uh, tightly controlled political environment, and hence the Uyghurs have never uh, give up on Chinese, and in China, lots of other. Uh, what the Chinese call as ethnic minorities, have very uh, good relationship with uh, Chinese, but only Uyghurs and Tibetans, I'm not quite familiar with uh, Mongols' case, but they all, perhaps they also have this kind. These two peoples have always uh, been uh, in a conflict with Chinese that they have never accepted China's rule easily, and they have never had a very uh, uh, high respect for them. Even in 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 a, in a non-political uh, space, for example, and that's one of the reasons that have irritated uh, China to uh, suppress Uyghurs to, uh, in view of uh, creating a unified uh, uh, Chinese identity, and we Uyghurs have been in the way of China to achieve that uh, goal, along with uh, Tibetans.
0: Why, why is the conflict so old? There's The eternal stones are from the 8th century. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about the inscription on the eternal stones and why that would have been um, written so early?
1: Yes, the eternal stones that uh, the erected or uh, established in uh, Mongolia, then lots of like Uyghur and also Turkish, uh, uh, what we call is a uh, Göktürk or Turkish uh, kingdom, kings, uh, issued their warnings to the Turkish subjects at the time that never trust Chinese, simply speaking. And historically, uh, Uyghur's uh, ancestors could be traced back to even. Huns or Hunnic peoples at the time, that the, there was a uh, century long, even millennium long conflict between uh, Chinese and uh, uh, some uh, other non-Chinese uh, tribes or peoples uh, like Huns and later on uh, Turkish people and later on Uyghurs, etc., etc. But all of them uh, saw a uh, Chinese as a very uh, cunning as well as untrustworthy. Uh, Untrustworthy uh, people. And uh, it's strangely speaking that the Chinese actually was really politically a very mature people, very calming people, which was evident in uh, what we call Sun Tzu's uh, Tzu's, uh, the war strategies, which are still famous all around the world. Um, Even uh, prior to Machiavelli, uh, Chinese. Strategists uh, had very sophisticated understanding of this, what we call is now is 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 very complex interplay of uh, being a friend and being a uh, enemy uh, in very uh, uh, complex uh, political world, and of course Uyghurs had this kind of view, but I don't think that it was as deep and as sophisticated as a Chinese had, so it was perhaps on the one hand. It was a uh, like uh, the, the Uyghur kings were so scared of the uh, Chinese strategies, which were very uh, cunning, very deceptive, at the same time very effective on the one hand. And also, secondly, uh, Chinese uh, strategies uh, knew how to win the uh, minds and hearts of the other peoples, and they know how to... Uh, divide the, their enemies quite well. Uh, even now it's happening now in, in the, around the world in particular when we see uh, the current political reality of the US it's nothing new to me for example because the same kind of strategies were used uh, two or three thousand years ago. So it's the same set of strategies that the Chinese people uh, politicians are still using and the Miraculously, these this strategies are still so effective all around the world, not only uh, to us. For example, I will give you a simple example was that. In 1949, when the, the communists invaded East Turkestan, they didn't punish people. Instead, uh, they punished very few like uh, Uyghur uh, industrialists or intellectuals, some of them, but... The Chinese uh, communists tried to deceive the people by giving them some land, giving them some uh, jobs, giving themselves some house, etc. etc. So it's very soft approach, soft approach uh, in line with human fallibility that the Uyghurs uh, felt at home with Chinese for after some years of this kind of very cunning operations. And then they dropped their guards and ultimately they were, then Chinese communists started to uh, suppress them severely. And then it was too late for Uyghurs to resist again, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the reason why, historically, Uyghurs are too conscious of uh, Chinese um, deceptive policies. But still, Uyghurs have failed many times, despite the the existence of this heightened sense of caution. But still... Chinese are winning this, uh, the war over Uyghurs, and not only Uyghurs, but uh, over other peoples, etc. etc. And now, if you look at the Chinese infiltration in Af- Africa, for example, it reminds me of how China uh, practiced in East Turkestan in the 1950s, etc. Same pattern, strikingly same pattern, that the, the other peoples are exactly biting the same like exactly falling in the same traps and that's why um, it's like eternal stones give us the eternal wisdom but this wisdom was not listened to by not only Uyghur subjects but others and still these warnings are valid uh, for the world unfortunately
0: so the conflict is very old, the tensions are very old um, but I guess we could say that the modern iteration or uh, the resurfacing began in 1949 when they colonized East Turk when the Chinese colonized East Turkestan. Um, initially, it seemed as if there would there it it might be possible for the Uyghurs to have some kind of autonomy, but over the next uh, I guess 33 years, if we say that 1988 was like a high water mark, and then everything sort of um, Tensions flared up. Then, is that is that is that right? Am I characterizing that correctly? Okay,
1: it's it's like currently, if you look at the U.S. political landscape, for example, that there are some people are uh, leaning towards uh kind of like a socialistic values or some kind of like a communist idealism, for example. Why? Because people are perhaps fed up with the current political system, institutions, politicians, etc., etc. Then they see that is as alternate reality better than what they have now. Same thing happened to us that uh, in, in 1920s and 30s, the the ideas or idealism of communism appealed to Uyghur intellectuals. And we really uh, tried to create some kind of like uh, earthly utopia uh, inside uh, East Turkestan. And on top of that, the October Revolution showed the world that uh, the people got the power and they got the opportunity to govern themselves on the principles of justice and the... um, equality and happiness, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so that's the uh, the the reason that Uyghurs uh, when uh, there was the, the China's Communist Party, there was we also had the Soviet Communist Party, et cetera. So Uyghurs, some Uyghurs intellects really are fascinated with the the communistic ideals. And even 1949, Uyghurs some of them were quite naive to believe that the communistic system, or communists would give them really a uh, better freedom, a better uh, kind of happiness that they had had before. So, uh, even China's uh, people themselves uh, uh, put their hope in the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, but then, the Chinese Communist Party showed its a uh, true face uh, um, in in. in Right after one thousand nine hundred and forty nine that uh, they started to, uh, to, uh, started to create their own um, like a narrative political narrative that, that there would be uh, absolute uh, control of the china 's co- uh, Communist party, which was supported by the relentless and the long term uh, propaganda and brainwashing process and whoever uh, tried to resist against this trend political trend. They were suppressed, even smashed by the, the machine of this uh, this state. And so the Uyghurs uh, felt that they were deceived by even during before and after before, during and after the Cultural Revolution, all the dreams of this communist utopia was smashed to pieces. And people, in particular Uyghurs, felt that they were deceived. But at the same time. Their sense of independence decreased because of the uh, a, at least a de- because of the uh, decades of very systematic oppression as well as uh, brainwashing. But then they accepted uh, autonomous stats as a uh, like acceptable uh, political uh, political framework for them to keep their uh, cultural identity. Uh, uh, but at the same time, at But some Uyghurs still didn't give up on the Uyghur independence. But that that voice, as I said, was dwindled as time went by because of the simple fact that China became more, like CCP became more powerful to know how to control uh, China's people in general and Uyghurs in particular. So then... After the after the Cultural Revolution, interestingly, China entered uh, a a time of uh, fairly uh, democratic uh, like uh, situation. Like for ten years, it lasts almost like ten years. In in particular, nineteen eighties, that uh, China embraced uh, conditioned uh, liberal atmosphere, which was not which was not uh, like which didn't pose any threat to the, uh, the ultimate legitimacy of communist China's Communist Party. Under such condition, some liberal activities, ideas, or practices were allowed to, uh, to express uh, themselves. And Uyghurs at that time, during the 1980s, Uyghurs started to engage uh, in a, a national a building of national consciousness. That, that They started to, to, to do some research on the history they they tried to create write lots of books about who they who they were, and that was quite a crucial time for Uyghurs to enjoy at that time. But after the nineteen after the uh, Tiananmen Square uh, massacre, Chinese Communist Party uh, started to impose the its uh, the communist dictatorship on uh, on the peoples Chinese peoples uh, in general. Then Uyghurs was also, also affected, and at the same time. Some Uyghurs tried to, uh, to resist against China through some religious ways, like, for example, some religious uh, elites of Uyghurs started to uh, to resist against China's rule, but then it was crushed uh, tragically. Then Uyghurs were shocked, and they they felt that um, the 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 religious resistance would not be possible inside China, and some of them. Uh, went uh, overseas, and also uh, they tried to form some kind of resistance outside of China, which still exists, but it's not the mainstream uh, kind of resistance. But there's some other secular uh, or semi-secular uh, Uyghur intellectuals, or they also some of them also went overseas, and they have created uh, uh, some kind of awareness of the uh, Uyghur issue in particular in the West, as well as in Turkey and other countries, but uh, mostly in the West that uh, Uyghur resistance has been formed, has been strengthened, and has been uh, more or less like uh, systemat- systemized uh, to some extent.
0: So in 1988, there was a kind of rupture because of the writing in the bathroom in the Uyghur university, is that is yes, that right? Yeah. So... What happened and then what what was that particular episode and then what happened afterwards? How did things change afterwards?
1: Uh, so that incident, like uh, in 1988, uh, the Uyghur students uh, in uh, Xinjiang University discovered a special uh, slogan uh, written on the wall of uh, one of the toilet paper, uh, toilets, and the this slogan was so, um, like, shock. It was a shock uh, to the Uyghurs. It was said that, that we will make you uh, men slaves, uh, make you women uh, horse, And it was a, also like a nightmarish reminder of the Uyghurs of what the uh, ancestral kings said that Beware uh, of my subjects that Chinese will make your men slaves and will make your uh, women um, whores. Exactly the same kind of sentence. And it was like a nightmarish uh, deja vu that happened uh, to Uyghurs in 1988 and uh, that was also shocking to me in the sense that uh, the same message that, uh, that like, kind of, this is like a su- subliminal or subconscious message that uh, the chinese have kept or had kept in their mind for more than a thousand years that there was that could be uh, interpreted as a kind of political zeal or determination of the chinese people to substitute Uyghurs completely uh, from within, destroying by destroying their uh, moral uh, values, their dignity, and everything that they that that constitutes their identity, and so then uh, Uyghurs uh, went to the streets uh, to protest against this uh, message, and then it was. Quickly suppressed, and the the, uh, the student leaders were some of them arrested, some of them expelled from the uh, university, etc. Apart, the the crucial message that we got from that incident was that that was the beginning of the Uyghurs uh, being uh, turned into uh, slaves. Though it didn't uh, didn't start overnight, but we we s few Uyghurs uh, felt the uh, historical like the uh, de- determination of the Chinese people to crush us mercilessly. And but it was too late uh that we were uh under very heavily uh armored uh Chinese uh Presence in East Turkestan, and uh, the, the all freedom was curtailed was suppressed and there was no freedom for Uyghurs. It was too late for us to wake up from that uh, nightmarish uh, warning. And so, um, and uh, the, the year after that incident, Tianmen uh, massacre happened, and there was a kind of like whole scale like like dictatorship, a tightening of the grip of uh, the. CCP on everything uh, in Chinese society, including Uyghurs, and then the assimilation's uh, policy uh, was became unstoppable. And and interestingly, that I would like to add one more thing here is that after the, uh, of course, the after the Tiananmen massacre, China was sanctioned by some Western countries for some time. Two or three years, but then in 1994, the European Union dropped that. It's like a bit punitive measures against China on its handling of the Tiananmen student movement. Then the the world gradually accepted China as a um, very uh, great and important influential uh, countries. And after the Chinese entry uh, into the World uh, Trade uh, Organization, and the, the, the trade relationship between China and the West was intensified year by year, and that gave a uh, huge sense of self-confidence uh, in the, the Chinese communists and also ordinary Chinese people. And then Uyghurs felt that uh, that the Chinese, uh, the communists, uh, seized the opportunity to uh, project their uh, greatness upon the Uyghurs by uh, v- uh, by suppressing them, vilifying them, and also marginalizing uh, Uyghurs further down the track. And then that was the, uh, like, a, the, the greater the Chinese uh, communists uh, feel themselves, the more suppressive they become. And ultimately, uh, this... Uh, the, the genocide is, 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 to some extent, is part of like a uh, like very uh, self-aggrandized ag- uh, projection of the Chinese communists uh, upon Uyghurs to show that they are masters and Uyghurs are slaves.
0: When did the current genocidal practices become uh, official?
1: This is quite interesting question that uh, this genocide has never been uh, officially declared. Uh, for example, uh, if you look at the Holocaust, for example, uh, we see that it's uh, the final solution to the Jewish problem. There was such a term used in 1945, almost at the end of the Holocaust. But in Chinese context, the uh, Chinese have never say that we are, like, eliminating Uyghurs because they are terrorists, they are, like, undesired people, etc. But what they have done is that they are eliminating Terrorism aspects, or they are just like uh, managing uh, Uyghur terrorists, real or potential, etc. But actually, uh, this genocide is hasn't happened overnight, as I said, just like uh, the Holocaust. Like uh, we can't say that Holocaust just uh, lasted from, let us say, 1939 to 1949. But if you look at the history, that there were lots of like uh, preparations for that. Even started in nineteen thirties, right after the Nazis came to power. It's exactly the same thing uh, for the Uyghur uh, cases. But if I if I uh, be more like a precise on the the timing around this genocide, I would say that after the uh, Rumbach massacre in on the fifth of July, uh, two thousand nine, when there was a um, Conflict between Uyghurs and the Chinese uh, erupted uh, as a response to the the Uyghurs were killed by uh, killed in Guangdong province at, uh, several days ago. Then that was a turning point in the uh, in the Chinese government's uh, determination to eliminate Uyghurs through uh, through this genocide. But we should also take into account uh, some other f- factors uh, that. Uh, have that into this uh, genocide. For example, at that time, two thousand nine, Xi Jinping was not elected as a chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so it took some years for Xi Jinping to be uh, to be like uh, appointed as a CCP uh, secretary or secretary of Chinese Communist Party in. Uh, 2016. So after that, the, the Xi Jinping uh, visited Kashgar uh, in 2014, where he gave very firm instructions for the Uyghur issue, and that was the declaration of, I would say, that was the declaration of the uh, the, the China's Communist Party's uh, genocidal uh, policies against Uyghurs, because. In that instruction, Xi Jinping made it quite clear that we should give a uh, fatal blow to Uyghur separatists and uh, uh, terrorists. And the two things are quite uh, important here. The One is that they are the Xi Jinping speech. Made it clear that it was a blow to separatists. These are the secular Uyghurs from the Chinese uh, understanding. And the second one, a terrorists, which also has a uh, anti-terrorism uh, connotation. And the, uh, that speech was quite um, deliberately uh, structured uh, to give this message not only to Uyghurs but also to the Han Chinese that these people are enemies. And these people uh, should be wiped out. And the nature of this uh, the fight was fatal or fatal blow. So there was no compromise. There is no mercy. It was already a merciful uh, operation that was declared at that time. And so I could say it was 20, uh, t- uh, 2014 was a second uh, turning point uh, in the... Um, Modus operandi of the Uyghur genocide, and since then, uh, this genocide has been uh, has been carried out by the Chinese government uh, in a very systematic way, uh, in the name of fighting against terrorism, or fight plus fighting against the secessionism.
0: So, 2014 was when it was it got as close to explicit as it was ever going to get. Um, I guess it's similar to the Wannsee Conference in Germany in 1942, uh, which is when the final solution was made official, even though, as you say correctly, since the 1930s, um, there has certainly, they had been working towards a final solution, but they didn't actually use that term uh, or make it, make it explicit. Like the, the mass murder was the, was going to be the, uh, the solution uh, rather than exportation or just other kinds of uh, cultural elimination. So 2014, it became official, and or as official it was as it was going to be. Did you had mentioned before that there was a sort of Uyghur international culture uh, already? Um, did that did the we did the inter what what existed of an international legal culture? Did they respond to that call in 2014 and see that things were changing? Um, was Was there a kind of uh, some kind of unification, or was it not a robust enough international community for there to be um, unity?
1: Yep, and um, I watched a uh, very good document documentary film about the Holocaust called "The Last Days." in which there was a one lady Jewish lady say that why didn't why didn't we do something at that time like for example that uh, the uh, Jewish community in Hungary there was one lady in that documentary film they heard that the, German, uh, the Nazis were killing uh, Jewish kids in Poland for example but they didn't escape anywhere and it also happened to us Because I I would like to draw this analogy because of the simple fact that there were some clear signs of genocide at that time. For example, just like the Germans were singled out as an enemy of state with the uh, the badge of the uh, David Star, for example, uh, that they are forced to wear that badge to be identified as a Jew. It was happened to us, the Uyghurs, that like facial recognition system, it came a little bit later, uh, uh, like after uh, 2014, but it was a kind of like identification process to target Uyghurs as an enemy. And not only that, even uh, Uyghurs, the uh, ID card that Uyghurs carried, has a special uh, kind of like alarming system that if Uyghurs have some political issue, then they could not uh, pass Certain uh checking points which are quite like uh, like uh, abandoned in every five hundred one kilometers there's one checking point so at that time we were one is selected second one identified and third step is targeted, and fourth step will be uh handled uh, mercilessly so this is the all the process is akin to what happened uh, during the uh, during uh, Germany in 30s and 40s uh, last century but of course uh we didn't uh we didn't act on this clearly warning signs until uh, there was a big article uh published uh on new york times with the uh, the interviews uh done with one of the uh the the Uyghur genocide survivor umer bikali who resides in Holland uh, currently. So that was the shocking revelation. Of course, it should not shock us, but whole world was shocked to know that uh, that there is a systematic uh, genocide is happening. So if you look at the timing, if you look at everything from a timing perspective, so from 2014 to 2018, there were four years of preparations or even uh, implementations of the genocidal policies that didn't catch the serious attention uh, of a uh, the, the the world community. And and on the other hand, uh there was a bizarre story uh, associated with that. Xi Jinping's father worked in East Turkestan during the uh, 1950s, and he had some connections with some Uyghurs. And, Quite recently, some Uyghurs, uh, very few Uyghurs, uh, held a strange belief that since Xi Jinping's father had some connections with Uyghurs, he could be a little bit merciful uh, to us, for example. But the the reality was just opposite, uh, mercilessly uh, opposite of this Uh, naive expectations. Actually, it was Xi Jinping who gave the orders uh, to the Communist Party leaders and other uh, institutions and uh, uh, party uh, members to uh, carry out this genocide. And on the other hand, I should also uh, mention that uh, the Chinese Communist Party systematically uh, also psychologically prepared the Chinese people to what could happen in the future. For example, they uh, vilified Uyghurs after the 2009, the Urimchi massacre in 2009, that it was driven by fanaticism, driven by a uh, terroristic ideology, etc., etc. So then there was a clear... Uh, Ethnic division between uh, Han Chinese and Uyghurs uh, in uh, big uh, cities in East Turkestan. So, two communities were separated and put in a very oppositional uh, situation as it's kind of like a very enemy, like uh, made. Enemies of each other. So that was also like another kind of like a a social uh, environment where this genocidal preparations were made. And so so that's why the Uyghur genocide hasn't uh, drawn very deep sympathy of Han Chinese in East Turkestan and outside of East Turkestan, even uh, Han Chinese in the Western uh, Western countries, uh, because of this, like uh, the, the, the image of Uyghurs being Muslims and hence naturally being terrorists, uh, has decreased the, uh, the sensitivity to this Uyghur genocide. Instead, they felt that the Uyghurs must be uh, eliminated or handled severely. Otherwise, these people would be a, a, a greater threat within uh, uh, within uh, China against their vital interest. Um, and on the other hand, also, we know that in, in the, around the world, uh, Islamophobia is still a quite... Uh, powerfully or uh, operative in many parts of the world. So when it comes to this uh, the Uyghur genocide issues and lots of people think that okay yeah that's uh, the the terrorist issue. So they it, China might have done something really really important uh, for their own uh, national security as well as sovereignty. So this uh, this kind of like perceptions have made a contrib- very. Uh, sad and dangerous contribution to uh, the silence of the world over the Uyghur genocide, including uh, Han Chinese communities across the world.
0: When, when were the camps built? And was, how long was the delay between the construction of the camps and the interments in the camps and the international community becoming aware of them?
1: there was a uh, there has been a very a good research done by um Adrian Zenes who is a expert in this uh the the Uyghur genocide issue and also he has been uh vilified by the Chinese government uh over years and the according to him according to his research on this matter that the, the camps were were built uh uh, inside is Turks, across is Turkestan, several uh, cities and also towns and villages uh, since um, 2017. He checked some uh, construction, um, like advertisements about this, like there's, there are some kind of like a uh, uh, Information about the big uh, construction uh, projects that the Chinese government uh, tried to uh, to get some, like a, a contractors to, to 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 attract some contractors uh, attention. So he tried to analyze this information from the Chinese sources to figure out the uh, the size of the the and location. Capacity and other aspects of the concentration camps, and also there is a uh, the Australian institutions. Uh, uh, it has also done very wonderful research on the exact location of the concentration camps based on the satellite uh, imagery. So the satellite images have also correctly identify the location of the camps. And when you have the location, when you have the size of uh, the camps, then you will be able to figure out how many people are in, incarcerated in that specific camp, for example. And so then at the beginning, China's government was quite uh, dismissive and saying that, no, 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 we don't have a uh, camps. What we have is uh, re-education centers where Uyghurs are trained on some base skills for employment But then the the emergence of more and more evidence forced the Chinese government to uh, to to Explain the purpose and operations of the this uh, camp saying that yes These people are learning uh, some new skills, etc, etc but then world uh, in particular, lots of, like, journalists, the wonderful journalistic work has cast, uh, cast some, uh, some, uh, like, a doubt on the the veracity of the Chinese narrative and criticising Chinese government for not uh, transparent on the what they are doing uh, inside the camps. But unfortunately, uh, Despite the fact that we have uh images of the camps from obtained from or by the satellites we don't know what's happening inside the camps and we have got very few uh genocide survivors who are uh, who hold dual citizenship which is the reason why they have been released into their uh second uh country for some of them for family reunification uh, reasons, purposes, some of them are uh, some other purposes. But these survivors have given us the, the very uh, chilling uh, descriptions of the, the camps where deaths and the uh, systematic uh, rape, organ harvesting, and all other kinds of uh, torture exist. And then the world came to uh, came. They did this like horrific uh, aspects of this uh, camps came to light, and uh, the, the, some uh, parla- that some parliaments of uh, uh, countries uh, started to recognize this tragedy as a, a genocide. But unfortunately, uh, China, due to the Chinese, uh, the strong influence of China on. The most uh, parts of the world have a uh, put lots of uh, strains on this parliament's uh, capacity to to further challenge uh, China to stop uh, this genocide, and now we are seeing such a worrisome. Uh, this picture that a uh, the Uyghur genocide has been started to be normalised uh, by the world. Uh, now, if we talk about the Uyghur genocide, people not air uh, yes, these people are being killed. But what else can we do because China is very strong? So this is like, uh, like a like China uh, fear of China is something really really uh, defining. Uh, uh, trend uh, in many uh, parts of the world. Uh, So the Uyghur genocide has not uh, gained enough attention, hence enough action uh, to be stopped.
0: So people know that there is a genocide occurring. There are eyewitness accounts of torture and organ harvesting inside the concentration camps from people who managed to escape because they had dual citizenship. And I guess the Chinese were afraid that the their other nation would, um, advocate for them. So they just let them go. Is that why they let them go? Yes, but they, they are released, uh, on
1: condition that they should be silent over this matter. But when they are released, when they, uh, came to a free world, like when they came to, uh, the U S or some European country, they started to, uh, tell the world, uh, about the, uh, horrible, uh, Experiences uh, inside uh, concentration camps, and uh, recently, uh, just a couple of days ago, there was a legal tribunal cases in the UK, which tried to shed light on the the witness descriptions of uh, the camps, and it was really, really revealing and also very uh, horrific, and so. I don't think that uh, we have lack of evidence uh, to prove that this genocide is happening. What we lack is the political uh, will and courage to uh, to challenge China to stop it. And uh, now, like for example, again, let me make another analogy uh, between Holocaust and Uyghur genocide. When the Holocaust uh, was happening, uh, most of the uh, people in the world we're not fully aware of what was what was ongoing in Auschwitz or elsewhere, because the the media was limited, journalism was limited, media was limited, many things, the technology was not that as advanced as we as we have now. But now we know that that's what's happening. We have very advanced media which shows the world what's happening to Uyghurs. But then as against our expectations, the world is still silent, uh, inactive, and even indifferent to the Uyghur plight, and which is really depressing. Really depressing, and war, even to some Uyghurs, war than the genocide itself, because the uh, as a people being uh, being wiped out, the Uyghurs uh, hold uh, the put their hope in humanity, however abstract this term could be, but in reality. Uh, the China is still winning uh, the minds and hearts of the world community, saying that yes, I am eliminating these people because these people are dangerous, just because because these people is less than uh, human. So you can't accuse me of that. But actually, I am doing something good for for not only for China but also human. etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So this is uh, what. Uh, China is doing. And uh, so, what I am really, really uh, disappointed at uh, personally is that if Uyghur genocide is not countered by the world, what else will you fight for in the future in terms of uh, human rights or in terms of the genocide prevention or in terms of something massive uh, crimes against humanity? Because the Uyghur genocide has set a the wars uh like a bar for the world to pursue the similar type of crimes in the future. So uh, this is, I could say, this is the ethical degre- degradation of uh, humanity. And now you can't say that you don't know it. You know it, but you have done nothing. And that really... Uh, the, the, the how worse the, that our world has become right now. Of course many people say that the Uyghur issue is okay we can uh, push it aside or we can ignore it. But yes Uyghur issue could be ignored. Uyghur issue can be forgotten or, uh, even, uh, even in the future China, China may say that I have eliminated all Uyghurs. So what? Now it's so what attitude of China is just around the corner. But that's not the end of the story because if China succeeds in this evil project, it can do anything to any people on Earth because China knows that world is too weak to respond to its evil behavior. And so in the end, it's not only our tragedy. It's tragedy of humanity.
0: It's um, damning for, for the, everybody who is watching and the whole world is watching. Thank you for speaking about this for so long and for giving all of the context necessary to understand the gravity of this tragedy. Um, And I applaud you for your work and for your courage. If you were fascinated as well as horrified by that conversation, you will be interested in Mom Thiemann's essay and the upcoming issue of Liberties. The essay is entitled The Death Trap of Difference or What the Weakers Understand. And it, as well as the rest of the issue, will be available to subscribers in October. That means that in October, all subscribers will be able to access that essay online via digital subscription All Liberties issues, past and present, are available to subscribers on our website. Head over to libertiesjournal.com to read them. Thank you so much for listening.